And welcome to our Jackson home. This week I am joined by Dr. Fonzie and Leslie Gillaren. Um, they are a wonderful family in our town and they have a really unique story and that's why I've had them on this week. And uh, Dr. Fonzie, how did we meet? So it turns out Kevin was in a, in a class in the first year at Union. This would be 2008 to 2009. And uh, it was it was a burning bush-like experience and how God brought uh, me and my family to, to Jackson in the Union community. I thought you were just going to say, how do you met me was like a burning bush experience. <laughs> oh, yes. That, <laughs> of course it was. That was part of it, absolutely. Um, and uh, anyway, uh, God kind of gave me some standing orders for uh, <clears throat> my, my season uh, at, at here in Jackson and at Union, which is now nine years and running, I guess. Um, <laughs> And that is, in every class that I have a new a new batch of students, I am to share the fa- uh, the story of, of how my family came together. Um, mm-hmm. And so I did that in Kevin's class, and and then lo and behold, within a semester or two, he was an RA and working with other or working with freshmen, and uh, he had invited me to come and share the story with them too. Mm-hmm. So somehow bits and pieces of that stuck, and yes. here we are. Yeah, it's, it's, it had a, a very deep effect on me. My wife and I care a lot about the adoption uh, world and the community, and, and y'all have such an amazing story of, 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 of that. And so it stuck with us. Um, I remember details as I was rehashing beforehand, <laughs> that, um, but my brain locks onto things. Not anything about physics, but other things in life. Of course. Um, yes, I understand. And, and so um, let's pick up the story with, with, a, with your background, Leslie. Um, I grew up in Kentucky and um, in a smaller, I guess, town with a mom and a dad and a brother and pretty normal growing up until I was about 16 years old. My mom got diagnosed with breast cancer, aggressive breast cancer, and so she only lived about seven months after diagnosis. And so obviously a very traumatic um, event in my family. We were close family. Um, And when that happened, my brother had just left for college. And so my dad, I didn't, I really honestly didn't care where I went to college at that point. I had a whole box of letters from colleges that I didn't care. I just wanted to be with my dad because, mm-hmm. you know, it was hard losing my mom. And so my dad said, well, you need to be with your brother. My brother went to get his meteorology degree at Western Kentucky. So he mm-hmm. said, you're going to go to Western Kentucky because that's where your brother is. And I said, whatever, that's fine. So I went to Western Kentucky. My mom was a school teacher at um, Fort Knox Community Schools and um, had taught first grade for a long time. And then a couple years before she passed, she actually was a Montessori uh, pre-K teacher. Mm -hmm. And so I knew I wanted to be a teacher. I had known that um, for a long time and had done a cadet teaching class in high school where they let us go into the classroom the first two hours of the day. That way we would know for sure if we wanted to do this before we went to college and spent two or three years. Yes, it was wonderful because half the class said, absolutely, I want to do this. And the other half said, absolutely not. I don't want to be a teacher. I don't want any part of this. Mm -hmm. So it was really helpful for all of us not to waste uh, time in college. And so when I went to college, um, I was still, you know, reeling over the death of my mom and it having been quite a year. And um, I remember um, meeting my advisor and she said, well, what do you want to major in? And I said, well, elementary education. And she said, okay, well, you have to pick an emphasis like math, science, social studies, English or special ed and I remember my mom telling me this like when inclusion had started 
then my mom didn't have any training in special education that kids with special needs were coming into her classroom. So it was a struggle because she didn't know how to help. And I thought, okay, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to pick special ed as my emphasis because I think that'll be helpful. Well, I was also the kid who would never sit with her course catalogs and figure out what she needed to take. Fonzie always did that. Um, but I, I would just go to my advisor and say, what do I need to do? And she'd say, take this, this, and this. And I'd go, okay, and just sign off on it. And Fonzie's like, that's crazy. Why would you trust somebody with that? But um, I did, and I found out my junior year that actually um, special education was not an emphasis. It was actually my first major, not not even <laughs> elementary education, my first major. And I thought, well, okay, um, I guess we'll just move on with this because I didn't want to switch at that point. Mm-hmm. And so um, I ended up being able to take American Sign Language as my foreign language in college because I was a special ed major. We had a psychology professor whose parents were both deaf and she would teach one class a year with 20 students. And so you had to fight your way in and justify why you should be in her class because a lot of people wanted to take it and because I was a special education major mm-hmm. I was able to do that now all of this I'm, I am a Christian and all of this happened before I knew the Lord but it's an integral kind of part of our story and so Fonzie and I actually met in college um, in symphonic band I was a trombone player Fonzie was a saxophone player and I actually remember the first day he walked in and I thought he was super cute and wondered who he was and so we became <laughs> Friends. A little bit later, his grandmother had passed away, and my roommate and I got him a card. We weren't even sure his name was Fonzie. We thought surely nobody would name their kid that, but we thought that's what the director said. <laughs> so we wrote his name down on the card and gave him a card, and that's how Fonzie and I first met. So, yeah, I um, uh, if you go to school at Western Kentucky University, then you are considered a hilltopper mm-hmm. because WKU is built on one gigantic hill. That's right. And, and so um, I had this, this was just nuts. Okay, if you are thinking about going to college, do not do this right here. Um, I, I thought, oh, um, the, the way the scheduling worked was you had, Friday, you, you had Monday, Wednesday classes and Tuesday, Thursday classes. And then every other Friday would, uh, every Friday would alternate between Monday, Wednesday, Fridays and Tuesday, Thursday, Fridays. And so I thought, oh my goodness, uh, I'm, I'm gonna be a genius. I'm gonna take 20.5 hours and I'm gonna schedule them all on Tuesday, Thursday, Fridays. Tuesdays, Thursdays, and then every other Tuesday, Thursday, Friday. This is genius. Then I'll have like four day weekends every other week. This is wonderful. <laughs> well, so the first day of classes, um, I, uh, I wanna play saxophone because I had played it in, in high school. And so I'm <laughs> lugging my saxophone starting at eight o'clock in the morning, <laughs> nonstop all the way through the day except for a break for lunch. And then symphonic band practice is at the end of the afternoon and so when I finally made it to symphonic band practice on that first day after having lugged that saxophone all up and down the hill I just went into the office of the conductor uh, and said I'm sorry I just can't do this and then he didn't he just he just put his finger to his mouth and didn't say a word he left the office he came back and he then he still didn't say a word he just grabbed me by the shoulders and then effectively picked me up and inserted me into the middle of the saxophone section. <laughs> and so I was like, okay, I guess I'm playing saxophone this semester. <laughs> and that, anyway, that moment of me coming into the symphonic band practice room, that's the first time I guess Leslie saw me. That is true. Wow, so that, that band director hadn't been there. That's right. <laughs> this wouldn't be happening right yeah. now. 
Yeah, um, and it's kind of crazy because I wasn't even going to play in college, but my roommate was a friend from high school, and she was a music major. And so she begged me to come to Symphonic Band because she was scared. So neither one of us had any intention of ever being there in Symphonic Band. And so, um, yeah, it's kind of cool. So uh, Leslie and I started out just as friends, and mm-hmm. um, and at the end of our... Um, well, actually, something happened, and I, I did... Of course, as, as most guys, um, especially freshman guys, I did something stupid. And then she did, she did not communicate with me until April of 1995. We met in 1994. And, and uh, we were good. Hey, he we, called to apologize, and it was really sweet, though. So I we were, forget him. We were uh, good friends for a while, and then, and then she cut me off. And then on my birthday, April 16th of uh, 1995, um, back then you actually had, there was actually a physical phone book with all 15,000 WKU students in it. True. And if it, wasn't awesome. for, if it wasn't for that, I looked her up in that phone book on my <laughs> birthday and I'm such a geek that I, was, I actually played chess for WKU and so I joked with her about playing chess in the past and I called her up and said, hey, you want to play some chess? <laughs> And uh, anyway, that's, that hit off a conversation that uh, helped us resolve the uh, ridiculousness <laughs> and, uh, uh, that happened before, and we started talking again, and we became friends once again. Best friends, actually. And so by the end of the semester of 1995, um, we were good friends, and, um, and nevertheless, I remember uh, noticing some really odd sort of weight gain mm-hmm. on Leslie. Um, Usually when people gain weight, it's sort of a little bit everywhere, but it, but hers was right around her stomach. Uh, it was very localized, and I was really immature and would pick on her about it, of course, to try to show affection, but don't do that either, yes, by no, the way. Smooth. Don't appreciate it. Bad. Bad. <laughs> um, but nevertheless, uh, she went home to Elizabethtown, and I went home to Morgantown, Butler County, um, Kentucky, and worked third shift at a grocery store, and... Um, at some point in that summer, uh, she had gone to doctors, but they sent her home because she, they thought she was a young Kentucky girl who was pregnant and in denial because uh, she had gained quite a bit of weight around her stomach at that point. But it wasn't until her kidneys failed and, mm-hmm. and her, her dad rushed her to a Louisville hospital. Uh, it ended up being a, um, a, a cancerous tumor that grew to 14 pounds. And I'll, I'll let Leslie take over from mm-hmm. here. Yes, and so when the doctor, our local family doctor, um, delivered the news to me and my dad, when we knew it was bad, and we walked in and they were crying, the nurses and the doctor, because they had known my mom. Mm-hmm. And so um, they said, you have a tumor in your ovary, we're sending you to Louisville right away, like you have an hour. Well, we live an hour from Louisville, and we're looking at him like, what? And he goes, go home, you stuff, go. So we did, and we got to the emergency room, and my um, doctor, for years after, uh, met us there and showed a huge screen on the wall of um, the CT scan starting with my head and going all the way down and and I could see everything uh, my brain my lungs and then it was just black for 20 screens and my dad and I thought that maybe the tumor was the size of a softball but in reality like Fonzie said it was 14 pounds it was massive so they told me that they had to cut me all the way down the middle of my body because it was partial the tumor was partially liquid partially solid and so because of that they didn't know at the time if it had cancer cells in it and so because of that, they couldn't risk opening it up and letting the, the liquid part go through my body because then it would just kill me if it was mm-hmm. cancer. So um, they removed the tumor. I actually have a picture of it. It's crazy. Um, and um, anyway, 
when that happened, um, I called Fonzie and told him what was going on because we were such good friends. And so he actually came up to the hospital and stayed with me a good bit and even helped relieve my dad of, of taking care of me up there because it obviously terrified my family because this happened about a yeah. year and a half after mom passed away. And so um, I had a lot of recovery. Um, it should have been a solid six weeks, and this happened in July. And so I ended up going back to college five weeks after surgery, mm. which is insane when you have a 10-inch gash up your stomach. Yeah. But the blessing was for sure, um, even though cancer cells were present, they were not replicating, and so it's still considered a, a non-malignancy because it was contained. Mm. So um, that was huge and wonderful. But yeah. they did remove an ovary and a fallopian tube from that surgery. Her dad named the tumor Biff, and it looked like an alien from outer space in some B-horror movie, because <laughs> they took a picture of it. It was yeah. massive and <laughs> before they cut it up. Mm-hmm. But anyway, I was used to staying up in the middle of the night, uh, working third shift at a grocery store, and so when I found out about uh, what had happened, I, would, I drove up and would sit with Leslie through the night and try to give her dad relief. Um, mm-hmm. uh, and, uh, and so one particular night, uh, a nurse was putting in the medicine and, ac- and, s- and someone else was taking it out accidentally and so Leslie was throwing up and uh, and I, uh, I I caught her puke okay mm-hmm. and then the, apparently this is really romantic so if you're listening you do want to do this because <laughs> because her aunts absolutely fell in love with me oh he caught her puke yes because oh. he told my dad to go back to sleep and said Bob I've got it I'm, I'm used to being up all night I'll just I'll take care of this. And so he did. He said, well, night, caught my vomit all night. So, uh, so there's that. You know, the things that you think are romantic, maybe not, but that aren't. Or, or that, yeah, whatever. Anyway, um, so the tumor, though, is a really important part of the story because without the tumor, uh, everything that follows would not have happened. Um, so, and Leslie started back to school uh, unbelievably mm-hmm. uh, that fall, and we helped her carry books. And there's some funny stories, but we'll have to, <laughs> yeah, we'll right. have to give those a pass, unfortunately. <laughs> um, so, fast forward to around 1997. Your, your junior, well, hold on, wait a minute. You didn't tell, like, wait, wait. We were still friends at the start of our sophomore year. We still weren't dating folks during this, this point, but there came a time where uh, we decided to go ahead and start dating. Fonzie didn't really want to, to tell you the truth, because he didn't want to ruin our friendship. Mm-hmm. But Understandable we, risk. We gave it a try, and yes, then we, we dated until, well, you tell that part, I guess. Um, well, so, so we, we start dating, and, um, and Leslie gets saved, actually, mm-hmm. um, her, her junior year of college. Um, I've been saved since I was little, but, um, but she actually gets saved. And, and so we, uh, <clears throat> we started going to church together um, at um, Morgantown Community Church. And, um, and then we finish up in the summer of uh, 1998. We, uh, basically, we graduate, we move out of the state we've grown up our whole lives in, and I start graduate school at Florida State in Tallahassee, Florida. And um, and we got married before we did. Oh yeah, there. I forgot about that. <laughs> That's uh, important. We, married, we got married that summer too. Uh, <laughs> sorry, I forgot to mention that. Yeah. Um, and so we um, uh, we ended up um, uh, well uh, joining a church uh, called Four Oaks Community Church. And uh, whenever you start out as a young married couple and in a church, you do the couple couple thing and and uh, you know pre kids and. And we had, it was a great season of life, you know, with other couples and, and having, you know, having people over playing German board games and 
stuff like that. German um, board games. German. It's specific. very specific. It is specific because yeah. they're the best. German board games. I'm not just saying that because I'm German. No. <laughs> That's true. You know, Settlers of Catan and, and that ilk, I guess. Okay. Um, so, but eventually the couples, you know, start trying to have kids. Mm-hmm. And, and so that started happening, and one by one, as our friends had a child, they would kind she of drop off the map. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, and so we start trying to have kids, and uh, we try for better part of a couple of years, mm-hmm. and nothing happens. And then a, a lady in our church, uh, who men- mentored Leslie a little bit, said, hey, you guys need, she was a nurse, she said, you need to go get this checked out. Mm-hmm. And, we've, and we've come to find out that the, the tumor that Leslie had um, years, many years prior um, had uh, shoved, it was so large, it shoved a lot of her uh, organs over, caused a lot of scar tissue to form. And that scar tissue uh, was basically uh, con- constricting the, the remaining fallopian tube. And so they said there's basically no chance that you're going to have kids naturally. Mm-hmm. And I'll let Leslie uh, comment on that. Yeah, and so that the, even finding out that information, like just the medical part of that, was a very traumatic experience, and my body did not react well to the test whatsoever. And so my, um, I guess my mentor mom down in Florida had gone with me. Praise the Lord, because it was my body just reacted terribly, and so I was sort of in shock over it. But I just thought, well, all right, well we'll go adopt. And so when I came home and told Fonzie, that was a really hard conversation. We stayed at our um, surrogate family's home that night, and talked through things and um, Fonzie's heart really wasn't towards adoption at that point. Um, he wanted to seek maybe some other options. Um, it's not necessarily that he was hated it or anything, but it's just not something that he felt like he wanted to do or had ever felt And probably not mentally to. prepared for. No, that, we weren't really prepared for that news. We, I mean, we thought that maybe there was something going on, but that wasn't necessarily what we thought we were going to receive. And so... It just took some time um, because I was so on board with it. I'd always wanted to adopt kids. Mm-hmm. I mean, if you go back and look in my senior yearbook, my friends wrote to me about adopting kids from <laughs> Romania or wherever you go, you know, and they're going to be blessed to have you as a mom, you know, this kind of stuff. And it was kind of crazy going back and reading that after our first came home. But anyway, um, just praying for Fonzie through that and watching the Lord work in his heart was a really ble- big blessing as a wife um, to see God kind of change his heart over that time. Yeah, uh, so when we got that news, uh, we actually had friends. Uh, you you think of a, if you can think of a fertility treatment, uh, we had friends who were trying it. You know, artificial insemination or in vitro fertilization, uh, just all all manner of things. And uh, through prayer, uh, Liz and I were both convicted that um, that God didn't want us to try any of those things. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and it was not necessarily because they're just flat out wrong. It's just for uh, for us, he did not want us to do that because we if, if we did that, we would be trying to take control of the situation rather than giving up control of God. And so we were both separately convicted not to pursue any of those fertility treatments, and that only left adoption. Well, ever since I was a kid, and you know, who could even imagine having children at some point in their life, uh, I had I had never wanted to. Adopt. I wanted to have kids that were genetically me because <laughs> I like me. Surprise! <laughs> um, um, anyway, um, they're pretty great. It's like well, that. I don't know about that, but um, uh, so so I had uh, I had to really wrestle with what is the purpose of having children? Is the purpose of having children to have a mini me that I can live vicariously through and do all the things for I wish that were done for me as a kid? You know, you, you can probably think of parents who, who their kids are, 
are really just extensions of themselves and they, they love them out of pride but not for the kids own sake right mm -hmm. um, so I really wrestled with what's the purpose of having kids and after a literally like a eight to ten month period mm -hmm. of time better part of a year the conclusion I came to was that if the purpose of having kids is anything other than an opportunity to agape love, to unconditionally love another human being, if, if the purpose is anything other than that, it's probably going to lead to sin. And so the per if the purpose of having kids is to have an opportunity to love another human being um, as God loves us, then it didn't matter if they were adopted. You can do that just fine, whether they're from your own loins or not. Mm -hmm. uh, and so I came to Leslie and said, okay, I'm willing to adopt. And that was about a year out from me finishing grad school. Mm -hmm. And if you start the adoption process, one of the first things you have to do is what's called a home study, where a social worker comes in and approves your home environment. And since we were probably going to have to move when I finished, then we put it on hold for a year. Um, and then I finished up and got a first job. Uh, in Indiana, and uh, and Leslie started the adoption process in earnest in all the paperwork. Right, and so we moved um, up to Indiana, and I had been working at that point. I had been a teacher and then left teaching after three years and became a lobbyist, actually, for kids in foster and adoptive care and persons with disabilities. It was very specific and very God-ordained how I got both of those jobs, for sure. Um, and so I learned how to advocate for, for people um, in the foster care system and adoptive care system and also persons with disabilities, which is also an important part of the story. Mm -hmm. And so we moved to Indiana. I still worked from home a little bit, but I was able to focus in on the paperwork. But at the beginning, we weren't really sure what we were going to do other than we, we really both knew the Philippines. We both just kind of knew that from the beginning. Fonzie's half Filipino, and we just really felt led overseas and felt specifically there. But we didn't know, do should we adopt a sibling group? Should we adopt twins? Should we adopt one child? Like, we just didn't know what to do. We weren't sure. And we were young. I mean, relatively for adopting, we were 28 years old. And so um, we were kind of wrestling through that, trying to figure out what we wanted to do. And then... So um, so we, we moved to Indiana. I finished grad school and we moved to Indiana in 2004. And so in the fall of 2004... Where were you teaching? Uh, at a place called Earlham College uh, in Richmond, Indiana. Uh, I was in the physics department there. Um, and um, in the fall of 2004, uh, I was alone in our living room and Leslie was upstairs asleep and, um, and something happened. Um, I didn't hear God's voice audibly, um, but rather it felt as if a great thought was impressed upon my mind with, with, a, with a lot of force, enough force that it clearly was not for me. And that thought was, if we were going to adopt, then we were, then God wanted us to adopt in as Christ-like a way as possible. And what he meant by that was that if we were going to adopt, then we were to adopt the most unwanted child we could find as a picture of the gospel because God adopts us when we're nasty and dirty in our sin. He adopts and unwanted in our sin. He adopts us out of that into his family. And so if, if Les and I were to adopt, he said, uh, you're going to adopt, you were to adopt the most unwanted child you could find as a picture of the gospel. And you can read in the Bible about uh, 
examples like Jacob wrestling mm -hmm. with the Lord. And I knew what that could mean. I knew that could mean all kind, all manner of things. If it's a special needs child, it could just increase um, financial costs. The child might not live an independent life. The, the um, emotional trauma on um, me and Leslie and even on our marriage and, and just all manner of things. I, I had a glimpse of what that could mean. But after about 15 minutes uh, of wrestling with the Lord, I, I said, okay, God, I'll do this. Well, Leslie was already asleep that night, and so the next morning I came to Leslie and told her what happened, and, and she said, okay, great. <laughs> and I, I knew that she, she didn't fully grasp what that could mean in that instant, because if you, if you think about it, um, uh, Leslie uh, had wanted to, had really, really wanted to be a mom, and um, and so uh, uh, women um, women often deal with insecurity issues, and so when you when you take away the ability to be a, a mother, uh, that only aggravates them. And so I knew that she her her desire to be a mom uh, might eclipse at the, in that moment. Um, her ability to see what that could mean, but also knew what Leslie well enough that, that I knew that she would, um, and so um, and so we began to move forward. We, we uh, talked to our uh, contact in the Philippines and asked, "What are the most difficult children to adopt out?" And she said, "Well, sibling groups are difficult, but absolutely, without a doubt, it's children with children with special needs." Mm -hmm. And so we were through a roundabout way led to a child named Angel. Yes. So I'd seen Angel's profile online, trying to show my parents some stuff about our adoption agency, and there wasn't any real reason for him to stick with me. There wasn't a photograph or anything. It just said, Angel, two years old, congenital cataract. And so that was in October. Um, and so in November, when I had made the phone call after Fonzie had had this encounter with the Lord, and I called her agency and said, what do we do? And I, she started talking to me, and I said, well, do you have any deaf kids? And she said, well, yeah, there's a little girl, but there's a family looking at her. And I said, no, 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 no. We want a kid that, that nobody else is, is wanting to adopt. And so Angel's name popped into my head. Hadn't thought about him really in a month. Popped into my head. So I asked, and she said, oh, yes. And so she sent us his information within three days. So I, I found myself every day just kind of waiting, waiting for the mail. And the day it came, I ripped it open, and I looked at everything. And I didn't really know what she was going to send us, but it was his full file with pictures and everything and so I just cried and cried and cried looking at it you know thinking this could be our child and so we were heading down to Florida and a, few, a couple weeks after that for Fonzie to walk and get his doctorate and I had said um, to him that I wanted a friend of ours down there to look at it just medically a lot of times when you adopt a child you take the file to a doctor and have him look over it just so that you know what you need to do who you need to talk to how you need to be prepared for when that child comes home, what medical appointments do you need to set up? You know, what are you looking at? Because there's things that we could read and not realize what are there. We just wanted to be informed. And so I told him that I wanted our friend Lisa to look at it. And I said, but I want you to look at it first because if you don't want to do this, I don't want to waste your time. And so he just kept telling me, I don't need to look at that. That's my son. And he never did. And so we just moved forward with Angel's adoption. And there were definitely some bumps in the road. There was a time where they told me that he was bedridden and blind. They called me out of the blue one day and said he's bedridden and blind and we're not going to let you or anybody else adopt him. But there's a little girl with a clep palate we'd really like you to consider. And I couldn't even speak. I just hung up the phone and cried for the whole rest of the day. And then the next day I called back and talked to them. And I know it was the Lord I'm just speaking because he was so calm. But I just explained to them, you know, if, 
if I was pregnant with Angel and a doctor had told me all the things that, you know, we didn't even know all of Angel's diagnoses at that point. We just knew a couple things. Um, that it wouldn't change anything. That's still my child. And I said, this is how I feel about him. It doesn't matter. Um, all these things that you're telling me. I have a special ed degree. We understand he could live with us the rest of his life. We understand he, if he's in a wheelchair, we'll build a lift in our house because our house had stairs. We understand what this means because I think they didn't think that we did. Mm-hmm. And so she said, okay, you've convinced me. It's fine. And so then in July, we were officially matched. And then in November, we flew to the Philippines to get Angel. She was trying to scare you out of it. I, I don't know. I, I never really understood all of that. Probably. Um... Or just wanted us to adopt somebody else. Like, they thought they could just move it through. I'm not um, really sure. It's like, my wife and I are foster parents, and we've met with people who are considering being foster parents, and I try to talk them out of it. <laughs> because because if you can be talked out of it, right. you have no business doing it. That's true. And so it could be that she wanted to see if we really wanted to do it, mm-hmm. if I was willing to fight for him. Mm-hmm. Which I had told Fonzie, I said, listen, being in special ed, I'm telling you, we we'll have to fight for this kid the rest of his life. Just get ready. Get your gloves on. Because that's how this is going to be. And he said, that's fine. I'm ready to do that. <laughs> well, I don't have any memory of, of, of us knowing that Angel was deaf. Uh, no, we didn't. No, we didn't know. We did not know that Angel was deaf. Um, and so we were trying to learn Tagalog, which is the, the <laughs> primary dialect in the Philippines. Mm-hmm. And so fast forward to 2005. It was actually Leslie's birthday. It's mm-hmm. kind of crazy. Uh, we'd been in the Philippines for a few days, and uh, Le- uh, Angel's Orphanage was literally an orphanage on the side of a volcano in the jungle. That's active, an active volcano. Don't know how that could end poorly. Yeah, yeah it, it actually erupted it a few actually, years yeah. later. Um, oh but at any rate, um, we, 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 saw, we met Angel for the first time and, and got him on Leslie's birthday in 2005. And uh, we'd been trying to learn Tagalog, and it was pretty clear... Um, that he was he was completely deaf and also um, he weighed 19 pounds and he was four years old mm-hmm. we were not at all prepared for I mean we had brought 4T clothes we had brought under we didn't have diapers he was drinking from a bottle he did not know how to chew food at all um, and you know in adoption they often prepare you and say listen the kid is gonna freak out and cry and scream because they don't know who you are and so you kind of prepare yourself for worst case scenario. That didn't happen at all. Angel just was like, okay. Came to us, never cried, nothing at all. So we um, stayed the night that night. Our adoption um, person had to run out and get diapers and get a you know formula. We had nothing. And we got back to Manila the next day. We had to go to the mall and buy him clothes. We didn't even have clothes to fit him because he was so mm-hmm. tiny. He was an 18-month to 24-month-old clothes. Mm-hmm. That's how small he was. He was very, very small. And so at that point, Fonzie and I thought, okay, <laughs> this is, we, I was totally smitten and in love with this child. The minute he walked down the hall, he was kind of toddling to me. He couldn't even really walk well. And I just broke down, you know, because this is a child I had dreamed about for years and just holding him in my arms and, um, you know, that kind of thing. But we, I will say the agency that we were with at that time did a very good job of, of making sure that um, we had medical appointments lined up, at least for what we knew. Mm-hmm. And so once we got home, we, of course, we had to add, you know, audiology appointments and that kind of thing to Angel's schedule because we, we didn't really know. But he had a congenital cataract in his right eye. So, so the, what does that mean? So that means he couldn't see at all. Like, if you looked at his eye, it was white. Mm-hmm. Like, his whole eyeball was mm-hmm. completely white. Right eye. Yeah, in his right eye. And so he 
we came home, that was that was priority number one. So we ended up having um, a couple pre-surgeries. You know, they had to make sure there was no tumor because they didn't really we didn't really know what was happening. You can't just assume that's that's the problem. And so they did all that, took out the cataract, put in a lens implant. And Angel, at the time, we didn't know it, had obstructive sleep apnea, so they did not give him enough anesthesia. So within five minutes of surgery, he ripped off his eye patch, and the lens implant shifted three weeks later. So we had to go back and do the whole thing again. Oh. Yes, and so we learned, and we taped socks on his hands for three weeks so that he couldn't rip his eye patch off. Yeah, well, so Angel weighed 19 pounds yes. at four. Mm-hmm. He had no language. None. Uh, his only mo- means of communication was either crying or pulling your hair. Mm-hmm. Um, and how do you tell a child that has no language? Mm-hmm. Um, don't the doctors aren't going to hurt you? Right. And and you can't rub your eye because it'll shift the lens implant, and mm-hmm. you'll have to do the surgery over. But you can't communicate that mm-hmm. to a child like that. And so and so that's why we we had to ta- tape his uh, tape socks around his yeah. hands. So he could not uh, rip the eye patch off, but somehow he got to it anyway. Well, no, we did um, that the second time around, but he, um, he loved those socks. He still put socks on his hands. It's hilarious. So <laughs> to make a long story short, um, Angel had a number of issues, um, and, he, and the, the, the cataract in his right eye, the malnourishment. Um, we know now he's, he's autistic, uh, and he's completely deaf. And so um, with the deafness, um, we, it, was, it would be possible for him to hear with what's called a cochlear implant. And from the period 2005 to 2008, uh, we tried to get him a cochlear implant. We would uh, enter him in national, even a national competition, uh, and he got second. And only the first place kid got the medical care. Uh, we had local fundraisers that looked like they were going to pan out, and they would, they would uh, uh, fall through in the last moment. And so from that, the period of three years, we tried to get a cochlear implant, not to, not to make him a hearing child or to take a position on the, on, in, in, on, in the deaf community, um, you know, uh, hearing versus non-hearing, et cetera, but rather just to improve quality of life. Um, and so um, for three years, we, we prayed and our church family prayed with, with us, and, but God closed the door uh, left and right on making a way for him to hear. And then in 2008, uh, is, uh, God, it's a different story, but it, God miraculously, as, as we said, the burning bush-like experience mm-hmm. that, that was uh, including meeting Kevin, um, uh, brought us to Union. And, and in that process, I, when I interviewed at Union, uh, I thought, hmm, I wonder if they would cover a cochlear implant. But I, I did not ask during the interview because I knew if I asked and they said, yeah, then it would, it would um, make it more difficult for me to hear God's voice and whether or not he wanted us to come to Union. Mm-hmm. And so I deliberately did not ask, went through the interview in the summer of 2008, because I didn't even know then it was, at, right, it was after the tornado. Um, and so they were still, they, were, they had started back up the hiring, the hiring processes in the summer. And... Um, and uh, so I interview, don't ask, and then uh, go back home to Indiana. They send me an offer, and I accept it. And then I call John Carbonell, who's still the, who's VP of Human Resources, and, and ask, well, do you know if the uh, insurance plan will cover a uh, cochlear implant for dependents? And he didn't know in the moment, but he got back with me 24 hours later and said, I, th- I think they'll be covered. And so for years, after trying to find a way for Angel to hear, God would, uh, would provide for him um, uh, uh, to hear through moving us here to Jackson and and uh, and 
uh, a part of the, being a part of the Union community. And he would also provide uh, uh, through the West Tennessee School for the Deaf, uh, because most states only have one uh, state deaf school, and Tennessee has two, and one is here in Jackson. And so he would miraculously provide for Angel's education uh, through WTSD, West Tennessee School for the Deaf. Um, and so this is just a, a, a glimpse of, the, of, the, of God's providence in, in moving us here. Um, yeah, for sure. Um, and I remember what we prayed specifically when we were trying to get the cochlear implant. It's like, Lord, just do this in a way that brings you glory. Not us, not a man, not a hospital, not a woman, not a doctor. You know, we want you to get the glory for it. And he absolutely made sure that he did. Mm-hmm. And so the, the other thing I wanted to mention about the implants um, is a lot of times kids with autism who are also deaf, they struggle understanding that language has a meaning. And so a lot of times with kids who are autistic when they get an and deaf, when they get an implant, a cochlear implant, it awakens their understanding to what sign language means. And so for us, speech was never a goal for Angel, and he's not oral. He has no speech whatsoever except bye-bye. <laughs> That's the one thing he can say. But the beautiful thing that we saw happen was he understood what sign language meant and that sign language had a purpose. And so we had a way to communicate with our child, whereas before we had had no communication other than the hair pulling and that kind of thing. And so it was really neat to see him kind of come alive and and learn and have conversations and be able to communicate his needs and just share all kinds of things with us. And so we became an ASL family, bilingual family, English and ASL together. And um, Angel also has a full-time assistant that helps him through the day, but she's also his interpreter. The Lord sent the most perfect person ever <laughs> to be his person, and she actually still is his his assistant today. She started in first grade, and he's heading into ninth grade. And so we're really blessed um, to have had that. So when we moved here, one of the things that, you know, we'd had Angel for several years, and I, I come from a very large family. My dad has seven brothers and sisters, and Fonzie's mom actually does too. So I always thought it was the coolest thing to have such a large family. So I wanted... You'd ask me, I'd say, I want eight kids. And people yeah. would say, you're insane. Yeah. But I, I did. I wanted a large family. And so when Angel came home with all of his needs, and um, I spent so many days driving to hospitals. Like our main children's hospital in Indiana was an hour and a half away. And I felt like I lived there a huge part of um, our time in Indiana, just a lot of time at doctors. And so Fonzie said, you know, there, Angel has a lot of needs. There's a lot of things going on with him. Like He just may be the only child that God has for us and so I really struggled with that for a long time Mm -hmm. I just didn't want to hear that you know honestly and about a year and a half into our being here uh, I finally came to a peace within myself about that and with the Lord about that and said okay okay God if this is if this is what you have for us then we're gonna our family is complete and whole as it is because you ordain families and if this is how you've created ours then that's perfect and it's fine and then <laughs> so this, is, this is around 2010 yeah um, um, God instead of communicating directly this time he sent little whispers mm-hmm. through friends and through circumstances that maybe he wanted us to adopt again and um, and uh, well I can't get into, go into all those details um, uh, finally they culminated in a friend of ours uh, coming to us and saying hey will you please adopt this little deaf boy in China Mm-hmm. Because they had just adopted a, <laughs> especially this boy from China, and they and they had ch- other children of their own, and and, and they could not uh, accommodate him. But she said, "Will you please consider adopting this little deaf boy so I can get him off my mind?" Um, and then Leslie brought. She said that to Leslie, and Leslie 
came to me and, and again on my birthday no joke uh, <laughs> on my birthday brought this to Fonzie <laughs> and uh, while well, the first time I wrestled with the Lord for 15 minutes this time I wrestled with the Lord for two weeks mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, and, uh, and and I, I said well at the end of the two weeks I said well okay Lord um, we're willing to do this but you're going to have to pay for it because it was 30 something thousand dollars that we didn't have right. um, and that's literally what I told the Lord uh, was that okay, we're willing to do this, but you're going to have to pay for it. Mm-hmm. And so we scrounged together the thousand or so dollars application fee to China. Mm-hmm. And that, that was in uh, November when that mm-hmm. happened. Mm-hmm. And then literally within six weeks, uh, it was right after the, the right after New Year, um, we had, we had uh, um, a family show up at our door, said, hey, um, we just had a major financial boon out of nowhere and they and they prayed what to do with it and they said give it to the Galarans to go get that little Chinese deaf boy and they gave us ten thousand dollars and then a few days later another family showed up and said here here's twenty five hundred dollars we want you to go get that little deaf boy and so within six weeks of me telling God we're willing to do this I'm willing (laughs) to do this but you're gonna have to pay for it Mm -hmm. yeah God, literally $12,500 was given to us to go do it. Yes. <laughs> That's amazing. That's incredible. Yes. And so over the coming months, the what was beautiful about Xiaoyu's um, uh, adoption, who is this little deaf boy from China that I'm talking about, was that the, 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 the body of Christ brought him home. Mm-hmm. There were uh, students at Union. One student gave me uh, African necklaces to sell, and they ended up selling for hundreds of dollars. Mm-hmm. Uh, people would donate, even random strangers that found out what was happening, and they would donate. And mm-hmm. so, literally, the body of Christ brought Shao Yu home. And so, our second adoption was this little deaf boy from China, um, and he uh, his his name is Shao Yu. Mm-hmm. Um, it means little universe. Yes. It means it does mean little universe. Shao, that's incredible, kid. I remember <laughs> I stuff. Remember that. I remember stuff. <laughs> and I think you told me that at. The first Presbyterian, the the grounds of first Presbyterian at the Starlight Symphony. Wow. That's okay, that's amazing. this guy. <laughs> I don't remember anything about physics. <laughs> that's okay. Shall you is more important than physics. Yeah. It's fine. <laughs> so if you're an American and you say "shall you," that means little fish. But mm-hmm. if you say "shall you," that means little universe. That's a big mm-hmm. difference. Uh, yes. Big difference. But I think little universe. Perfectly but fits considering in. this this kid's personality, little universe is far more apt. Yes. Um, so that, um, so we we've so yet yeah, um, at this point we, God had God had pre- had prepared us to parent uh, a deaf another deaf child. I had learned some sign language. Obviously, mm-hmm. we had uh, he had provided miraculously for Angel, and then he he, he provided miraculously for Xiao Yu. Mm-hmm. And looking back on all these events. Um, well, we were living through uh, quite a bit of suffering with shout, with uh, sorry with Leslie's tumor in college, with infertility as a young married couple, with parenting a child uh, with special needs with Angel, and then later on with Xiaoyu. Um, it's we can look back on that now and see how God provided, um, and God con- uh, um, was was in control the in, the entire time. The tumor had to happen because if the tumor had not happened, we would not—I would not have been open to adoption probably. Uh, before Leslie was even saved, he was preparing her 
to parent Angel and Xiaoyu uh, through her special needs uh, education and even a, a sign language class at a school at a university that had 15,000 students and only 20 students got in this class in a year. She got in that sign language class mm -hmm. and, and learned quite a bit about deaf culture and was, was prepared to do that. And even in Tallahassee, uh, when she became a registered lobbyist to advocate for children in the foster care system in the state of Florida, uh, God prepared her through that to advocate for children with special needs. Mm -hmm. And so before we even knew that God was gonna call us to parent special needs children, he was preparing Leslie, mm -hmm. um, and hopefully me too, <laughs> um, to do just that. Uh, and there's and so you can you can see the divine fingerprints um, everywhere mm -hmm. um, and so this is why it's it's one of my standing orders <laughs> at yeah. Union and here in Jackson uh, to uh, to share this story um, and Leslie and I to share this story and it's also um, uh, a, a part of our it's one of our primary ministries is to is to minister to people uh, pursuing adoption mm -hmm. um, to help them help them see the parallels between adoption and the gospel, um, and we teach we teach a, a, a class on adoption at our at our church uh, once a year, uh, but we'll do it whenever you want. Uh, if, <laughs> right. um, just ask. So right. um, anything that we can do mm -hmm. um, to help people in this way, we are willing to do that. Yeah, absolutely. So where so let's so so we kind of heard about them coming. Where mm -hmm. what's what's the update on them now? Ah, the update. Well, Shaggy's about the happiest little kid I've ever seen in my entire life. And um, he, you know, when Fonzie talked about wrestling for a couple weeks, it was interesting because God really showed me in, my, in Angel's adoption that I, I was very selfish and that I wanted a child because I wanted to be a mom. And so the second time I wrestled also because, you know, with Angel, we were given so little information about what his needs actually were. And not that it would have changed our mind. We would have just been more prepared. Mm -hmm. Um so with Xiaoyu, it, I wrestled a little bit more with that, but it was really a beautiful thing because I knew that this the second time I was doing it to honor the Lord. And he just so richly blessed us with both of our kids. They're so unique and different. But Angel, or Xiaoyu rather, is really the best brother Angel could ever ask for. I mean, he is, um, they're just such a good fit together. And so Angel at this point is actually getting ready to start high school. And um, Xiaoyu's getting ready to start fourth grade. Mm -hmm. And Xiaoyu also has cochlear implants, and he um, is bilingual. He speaks English, and he signs in ASL. They're both in public schools here in Jackson, and really, I feel like thriving and doing very well. Um, Xiaoyu's probably one of the most extroverted people I've ever met in my life, and so he just loves people. He, he Even today, he was telling his um, eye doctor when we went to an eye appointment, he said, I'm just happy all the time, which is very true. <laughs> he is. Yeah, and God provided uh, in that way the perfect brother for uh, Angel because mm -hmm. uh, often with autistics uh, it's a challenge to get them out of their shell. Mm -hmm. um, and so uh, Angel uh, being autistic and Xiaoyu being uh, perhaps the most extroverted human being I've ever met, <laughs> um, he is the perfect brother to, mm -hmm. to pull Angel out of his shell. Yeah, <laughs> it's neat to see them together. As a matter of fact, Angel didn't even want to stay home today when I took um, Xiaoyu to the eye appointment. He doesn't like to be away from Xiaoyu. Mm. They like to be together all the time. And, it's really sweet. And uh, and certainly it, it has it has been difficult in many ways. Mm -hmm. um, um, but uh, um, but as as anything as in anything in which you you know you're in 
God's will and being mm-hmm. obedient to God, um, there's a, a peace that, that pervades um, pervades <laughs> the entire thing and, mm-hmm. and uh, a peace that surpasses all understanding um, that comes with that, even in the difficult times. Yes, and God has sent so many wonderful people um, to work with our kids, therapists and um, people, like the interpreters that he has sent, they are so specifically from him. Um, it's unbelievable, <laughs> actually. And so it's been a really beautiful thing to see people. I'm not going to say there's massive amounts because there's not, but he, but God has definitely sent people who have spoken into our lives and minister to us and try to take care of us because we don't live near our family, mm-hmm. on either side of our family. And so um, it's been a really neat thing to see uh, people love our kids. Mm-hmm. And because they're in public school now, they're not, I mean, the deaf school is a public school, but neither one of our children, Angel graduated out of that, and then Shayu is now in a, tra- uh, not traditional, he's actually in a, in a Montessori environment. Um, but because um, they're there, it's been neat to see our school specifically, I'm a teacher at um, Community Montessori, see our school embrace that, embrace interpreting, embrace sign language. Uh, matter of fact, one of the coolest stories from this year is when Shao's class presented, um, every class gets a chance to present at the end of a, the, on a Friday afternoon and his class had a turn and when they came up to to sing the Star Spangled Banner um, there was one little girl that stood up to sing and I thought that's unusual because most of the time the whole class sings together well this little girl started to sing and then I watched and the entire class signed the entire national anthem and I just cried <laughs> and cried and cried yeah. because it was such a beautiful thing to see kids learning and they don't there's never been a meanness about it like the kids that my kids have been around have always been curious and ask questions because they want to know how to love them better and how to care for them so we feel very blessed with the places that they've been because they've been very well cared for and we've also had uh, an entire special needs ministry Mm -hmm. um, launch actually um, within a couple years of us being in Jackson uh, called Special Buddies uh, ministry at Inglewood Baptist Church mm-hmm. and it really began with Angel and then uh, very shortly after one other family um, here in the Jackson area it turns out that uh, many parents with special needs kids just simply don't go to church because it's just so difficult mm-hmm. uh, uh, with 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 the special needs children and so um, and so the special buddies ministry uh, at Inglewood um, uh, was set up to um, to minister to parents of special needs kids and and um, facilitate them being able to worship. Um, uh, that is the parents being being able to worship. Mm-hmm. Um, and while their their kids were not just being babysat, but also being taught mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. In, in an appropriate environment. And so um, and so we've we've been really blessed by the special buddies ministry at at Inglewood. Definitely. Um, uh, which is now they they also minister to adults with special needs also. Yes. That's awesome. Mm-hmm. Well, thank you all so much for coming on and sharing your story. Thanks um, for having us. It's it's great that um, you know you're willing to talk about it and share that and and I think I, I have been encouraged in our um, you know we have a very different set of challenges being foster parents, but it's. It is. It's. It's just a, such a different experience, and so hearing that from other people is a, is encouraging to me. So, I want to thank y'all for for helping to make Jackson a better place and choosing to call it home. Thank you. Thank you. Here.
Today's podcast was hosted by Kevin Adelsberger. Our intro music was performed by Aaron Harden. It was recorded live at The Co. To find out more about The Co., visit their website at www.attheco.com. To find out more about our Jackson home and to read more about how amazing Jackson is, visit rjacksonhome.com. That is a podcast.